Hello and welcome to the Snowbrains Podcast, where it's my job to interview the most intelligent people in the snow sports industry and pass their fascinating knowledge onto you, our listeners. I'm your host, Miles Clark. I'm a professional free skier, a mountain guide, an Alaska heli ski guide, a UC Berkeley molecular cell biology graduate, the founder and CEO of Snowbrains, and I just completed my 300 project today. I skied 300 days in one year to pay tribute to my mom, who passed away from her fourth cancer in January 2023. She was stubborn, and so was this project. The stats on the 300 are kind of fun. 305 ski days in one year. Started on December 8th, 2022, and ended on December 7th, 2023. 280,923 vertical feet climbed. 518 miles traveled in the backcountry, 132 powder days, 10 rainy days, 194 ski resort days, 135 backcountry ski days, 15 heli ski days, 53 backflips, 117 360s, 8 D-spin 720s, 72 days in Utah, 71 days in Bariloche, Argentina, 36 days in Lake Tahoe, California, 54 days in Mammoth, California, 22 days in the Eastern Sierra, California, 16 days in Valdez, Alaska, 13 days in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, 7 days in British Columbia, Canada, 6 days in Tierra del Fuego, Argentina, 4 days in Southern Patagonia, and 4 days in Antarctica. I am nothing but grateful to have completed this project. Thank you to everybody, and thank you to everything. My guest today is Stephen Nyman. Stephen first skied on the World Cup at age 20 and got 15th in slalom in his first ever World Cup race. He's been ski racing on the World Cup since 2002 with 14 World Cup seasons. Stephen skied in three Winter Olympic Games. He won three World Cup downhill races. Stephen has been on the World Cup podium 11 times, all in downhill events. He achieved four World Cup podiums in the downhill in 2016 alone. Stephen was ranked sixth overall in the downhill in 2015 and 2016. Stephen has also skied powder with me in Alaska and Utah and is one of the strongest people I've ever met. Hello, Stephen. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. How are you, man? Fantastic, fantastic. Waiting for the snow to start flying. It's getting colder. Yeah. Not long now, man, because uh, I guess for our listeners, it's what, the very end of September. Uh, when did you ski last? Dude, that's a that's a tough question for somebody who just retired. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, April, April, I think. No, well, maybe it, May. Because I bet you normally ski in the summer, right? Oh, but it's been funny looking at my teammates. They're going to Zermatt. They're going to Chile, Argentina. Uh -huh. And I'm still home, just enjoying summer. Just chill, man. Well, yeah, you got to get used to your new routine. Well, Stephen, I really want to dig into your 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 impressive twenty year ski racing career. We'll jump into some rapid fire stuff before drilling down at some deeper stories. And actually, I, I got ahead of myself. And even before that, I would love to hear your quick and dirty, like three minute life story. So this is something I just started doing with folks, and I think it's an amazing way to connect with people. Uh, I do this with all, all the people I hire at Snowbrains, and I think it's cool. You, you kind of figure out where people are coming from, where they're headed, where they are right now. So if you don't mind, if you could tell us your quick and dirty three-minute, it could be longer than three minutes. You're just your quick all and right. dirty life story. Oh, well, all right. I was born in Provo, Utah. 
at the age of three or four, we moved up to Sundance. My dad ran the ski school at Sundance for 20 years. I have three wow. brothers. We all <laughs> were raised as skiers. My mom taught us how to ski. My dad taught us how to race is what I like to say. Each of my brothers kind of made their way in skiing in some facet or another. My older brother, he was a ski patroller, ski instructor, Michael. Then there was me. I obviously made it in ski racing. Then Blake, he was probably the best of all of us. And he quit, oh. snowboarded for a few years. Then was like, ah, I miss skiing. And then he, he was the best racer. And then um, he got back into skiing, ski cross. He almost made the X Games. He was the first alternate. Then he went to into the movies and lived kind of the ski bum life for several years and, nice. and worked it with the movies. He he had sponsors like Spider, North Face. He's part of a ski company, Surface, which so oh, yeah. I see out there. But those um, weird bent skis, they they used to be popular in Argentina. Yeah, yeah, no, uh -huh. they are. It's funny. Yeah. They're like they're they're prevalent in South America. Yeah. Um, but they're also around Utah, obviously, quite a bit. And they're still kind of out there, but they had a little push. I think not having those big sponsors kind of limited his his rise, mm -hmm. but he also wasn't willing to really push it to the limit. Um, he he was doing doubles and stuff like that, but then Whoa. kids were stepping up to triples and uh, uh so he was in like Nimbus. Warren Miller, uh, back in the day, he yeah. was like in all those little things. So he he had some fun, traveled the world. And then my younger brother, he's he actually currently works at Sundance and is in the restaurant up there. Oh, wow. And so for 20 years, we lived on the mountain and we Damn. actually went to a year round elementary school. We got to pick what blocks of the winter or what blocks we had off. We'd have a three week block off. So we always picked February. And nice. as kids, we had that three-week block off to just ski every day. Wow. And I think uh, the mountain raised us. And, and <laughs> it allowed us to excel at the sport. And we really didn't know what was going on at Sundance when it came to racing. There's uh -huh. actually a strong racing history. But when it comes to, like, navigating that, we didn't know what was going on. And at 16, I decided to commute up to Park City and chase better talent at the time there's a world cup there mm. and so we had a good surface starting end of november through the entire winter we trained on a world cup surface and damn i was never that good on soft snow but <laughs> i was good on hard snow and i think it was because of that and the noram tour tends to not have the greatest conditions and I did all I, I did okay on the Noram tour, but then when it was icy, I'd, I'd do really well. And uh, I kind of chipped my way through the fist levels, Noram levels, qualified for World Juniors, ended up winning World Juniors as a discretionary pick from the Park City ski team. I had $10 stretch pants, backward <laughs> hat on. It was like, it was pretty funny. It was like, who is this kid? Uh, and made the US ski team, had a rapid rise one at all levels from norams to europa cup to world cup fairly quick made the team in 02 won my first world cup in 06 and Damn. then i had some dark years in probably i'd say 08 9 10 11 and then the rise started happening again in 12 
12 till uh yeah the end of my career I, I got back on the horse and did really really well so now i have two children and my <laughs> wife and we're here in park city we jump between park city jackson and I'm, I'm excited for this next chapter in life living the dream man i'm excited to hear more about it too i think it's gonna be really exciting for you well sweet man let's rattle through some rapid fire questions and then i'm excited to learn more about your your career how many days do you ski per season never have counted never counted a lot. i love uh, it yeah because because you ski year-round how often do you ski backcountry uh as much as i can mm -hmm. it was when COVID hit it was kind of fun to just walk out our back door what, what's beautiful is both our homes we can just walk out the door and go ski and that's huge. Uh, that's, that's a, a necessity i think that's something that we look at is just access to the outdoors for, in places that we're buying Another thing in my life story, my wife is Charlotte Motes, who is also a famed skier in her time. And so oh, yeah. she was in all the movies, blah, blah, blah. Posters, everything. A, now she's a businesswoman, but uh, so skiing definitely drives some decisions that we make. Yeah. <laughs> the best way well, to put it. <laughs> well, very diplomatic. I, I agree. I'd have to agree from what I've seen so far. What's your biggest accomplishment in skiing? It was a 2014 Val Gardena win. I've won in Val Gardena three times. It's crazy. Which is a famed course in the Dolomites. It's one of the big five, one of the, the biggest five races on the World Cup Tour. I've won it three times. I was the first American to win it and was the only American to yeah. win it until my teammate Bryce Bennett uh, won yeah, Bryce. it two years ago. Yeah, Bryce. Um, <laughs> And in 2014, out of the three wins, that was my my most proud win because I came in, I knew I was skiing well. Both training runs, I won by over a second. I was really ahead of the the, the whole plan. I I was just hitting these lines that nobody was even grasping. Uh -huh. It was really really cool. But then race day came, and I'm like, I can't back down. Like somebody's got to figure out what I'm doing here. And one guy did. Oh. Chateau Leandrude, and he was three or four tenths behind me. But then the next guy was like 1.2 behind us. But I just said, no, I'm not, I'm not backing down. Like I am laying this down. And it was probably the most perfect run I've ever laid down. There was no snow that year, very thin. A lot of the racing in Europe is on basically cow pastures. Right. So it was very thin, very icy, just bumpy and rattly the whole way down. So guys are very hesitant. In this course, there's 27, uh, probably I should say 20 to 30 jumps, depending oh, on the shit. year. So <laughs> there's a lot of blind conviction that occurs. You have to really right. convince yourself where you're going, what you're doing, and just make it second nature in the back of your head. I was just nailing it. I just, I knew what I needed to do. I could see it. I did it without hesitation. And, um, and then come race day, I just, I laid it down and it was, it was beautiful. It's fantastic. It's clearly a, you know, what we call flow state now. What, what can you describe? What was it like during the run? At that time, I was just connected with my equipment. I, I call it a tempo. I, mm -hmm. those dark years I was talking about earlier, a lot occurred to where the the equipment wasn't reacting the way I want it to react, and I was mm -hmm. trying to communicate that with my technician and with the the engineers at Fisher mm -hmm. to design something that would react 
the way I want it to react. And so finally we came up with the ski and this boot combo. And and when I press into it, it has this tempo of how it's going to turn. And, and that was just ingrained in me. And I knew how it would react, how I needed to move through the turns. And I can just see these points when I'm inspecting. I just, I, I look at this point and that point and that point. And I just, it's this kind of like flashcard thing in my head. Mm-hmm. That I just drive to that point, and I drive to that point, and I drive to that point, and I'm just throwing all my energy from there to there to there to there to there. I knew how things were going to react, and I just went in with full force. That and that that's what I find out with a lot of people that I knew how things were going to react, or or I knew you know uh, the outcome before it happened. And I feel that too. If if I do experience a flow state, it's almost as if I can see a half a second into the future. But, you know, so it's almost like you know, you're so in the moment, you're almost ahead of the moment. I don't know. That's kind of the way I've I've described it. And it sounds like you feel something similar. Exactly. Yeah. I, I don't want to say I'm ahead of it, but you know and you predict how things are going to react. But also when they don't react that way, there's no panic. You, mm. You're just so unbalanced to where you're like, oh back at it go back yeah. to the go back to where i want to get to yeah and you and you don't panic to get there mm-hmm. um, so if you end up in your plan you know b you're still charging there's a broader mistake range to where if something happens you know you're fine whereas if things aren't quite reacting right you know you have to be just like so precise in this this arena or else things go really wrong quickly <laughs> absolutely and that's, I mean, especially that's, in your world yeah Oh, I've had it on the other side of things. <laughs> oh, and we're and we're gonna get to that, man, because I think that that people can relate to that. I think it's a good part of the human story. Uh, what What do you think your is your biggest accomplishment in life? Uh, biggest accomplishment in life, I'd say, are my kids right now. Just very fulfilling. It's fun to see them learn and and look at something, especially when skiing. Mm-hmm. Skiing just naturally, I think, raises superhumans. <laughs> I, I like, like that. to say it, there, there's there's the awareness aspect mm-hmm. there's the balance the the vibrations the the g-forces the ever-changing conditions and naturally you start on a flat slope and go steeper go over different terrain and you have to find that belief and conviction in yourself and it's it's a solo sport it's not relying on many other factors aside from yourself watching them challenge themselves on different in different arenas and say dad can i do that and i'm like yeah you got this you got this and they go down they're like i did it like that's so cool to me and and super motivating and yes there's the days where they're total jello across the snow and you got to pick <laughs> all the gear up and, and it's just like why am i doing this but there's those days that just make up for it when they they push their limits and and gain confidence in themselves Sort of a an allegory for life in a way, right? Where's your favorite place to ski? Favorite place to ski is Chamonix when there's snow. Oh. Chamonix is incredible. Just just the adventure aspect that is there. Just that valley mm. is so incredible and motivating. Um, I also love Saint Anton. I love the the broadness that europe provides like how you can travel through the mountains that's mm-hmm. so fun what would you do if you couldn't ski uh, you're still able-bodied but for some reason you can't ski oh, surf yeah <laughs> <laughs> i love surfing 
ocean's attractive to me. We always go there once or twice a year just to de-weight, connect mm -hmm. with the water. I got pretty good a few years ago, but nice. I totally destroyed my knee in 2016 mm. and just haven't surfed that much since. But uh, I've been dinging around on a longboard with my daughter on the nose. Nice. We have actually had a couple uh, little surf competitions in Maui and she's hanging on the front with the goggles and it's like, this is awesome. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a ton of fun. Oh, but I like the to good get back life. into some good waves and, and um, challenge myself again. What scares you the most in the mountains? How small you are. And, and I really realized this in Chamonix. And like in Jackson, when you're under, just, you're under just like you're in the Hobacks under just these clip bands and you're like, well, I'm nothing, you know, yeah. something can shift here and I'm nothing. And it's just really being aware of your surroundings, what's going on, what has happened, like jumping around here and there to different places and not being aware of what has occurred over time. Yeah, you can look it up. I need mm -hmm. to get better at that. When I'm in one place for a long time, I have a better understanding of of what snow conditions are like, but it's more just, it's hard to predict and you need to really be aware and being with, being with people that are loose cannons really freaks me out, I guess. Oh, <laughs> me too. Like going on adventures and being with people that are just like, yeah, we got this, that are, that are highly capable, mm -hmm. but just don't understand what the mountains can do to you. Yeah. The risk reward, it's always got to be taken uh, in, in mind. And, and on that note, what, what do you love most in the mountains? The tranquility, the peace, like when I'm just out there skinning, touring up something and you just stop and there's nothing going on. It's just quiet. I like to jet ahead of everybody and then just kind of like sit there for a while. And I like um, that take it in solo is is very uh energizing to me i agree i love that what's what might be the funniest accident you've had in the mountains or just a funny story you've had in the mountains i actually just read a little bit about how you crashed and shit yourself but i don't know if that's, that's funny that's what i was no, that's what i was thinking <laughs> and i was like i think it's happened twice oh wow all right i'm gonna hear <laughs> but this. it wasn't uh, the the one time was like a very compressive turn oh <laughs> and it was just a little bit but that's the 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 big one was um it wasn't funny because it was basically the end of my uh, the peak of my career Ooh. um in 2017 uh i crashed in garmish blew my acl mcl pcl Ooh. lateral compartment what just totally destroyed my left Damn. knee with we had one training run I did well in that training run, but there's this jump near the end that had this like lip to it. And there's no reason to have a lip to it. Like we're, we're coming in there at 60 miles an hour. Any downhill jump should have a, a downward trajectory takeoff. Mm -hmm. And I told them like, we all backed down because it had this little lip to it. And we said, race days tomorrow, you got to cut this down. Like we were soaring today. Mm -hmm. got there in inspection looked at it and they said 
I, I said, you didn't cut this down. He's like, oh, we did, but we will, we will cut it down some more. And I'm like, <laughs> all right. And I just trusted him and went full gas into there. I was leading Ooh. the race by three quarters of a second. And I'd been on five of the last six or seven podiums. And I uh, sent it off the jump full gas and basically fell three stories Ooh. and then hit a, hit a wall going about 60 and pop, pop, pop. But I, I, I crashed, smashed it in this wall. It was it was an A net, so it wasn't a wall. It was it was a big net, but they have a B net before it, which is a fence. Which I was in a good position to hit the wall, but the net grabbed my foot and pulled it up. So when it was up higher, I Ooh. hit the wall, and the knee just went. Ah, I, I felt it, but I didn't. I'd never done anything to my knees ever. Uh huh. I was just sitting there. I was like, "Whoa, that was intense." And the guy's like, we will get the helicopter. He's running down there. And I'm like, I'm okay. I'm okay. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, it's fine. And I stood up and my knee just buckled. And I was Oof. like, no, get the heli. Oh. So, but because I was sitting in the snow for so long, my ass was just frozen. <laughs> and I didn't know what was really going on. And they got the heli. They flew me to the hospital. Beautiful view of the Zugspitz as I was in the in the, <laughs> the bed there on a cable underneath the heli. Uh, landed. I'm sitting there. The nurses going through stuff. They were going through everything, looking at my body. Cut my suit off. Cut my long johns off. And the 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 nurse was like, "Scheiße in the hosen." I'm like, what? Scheiße. I kind of I kind of like wiggled my butt around. I was like, oh man, I shit my pants. <laughs> I didn't like really like it was finally <laughs> finally thawing out. And I was like, wow, there's oh. a lot in there. Oh my god. And so I had to have her wipe me. Oh and then god. because I did that, because it was such a hard <laughs> compressive hit, they kind of panicked and we did like full body MRIs, checked out all my internal organs, had Ooh. to had to go through everything. But that day. It was a shame because um, another kid basically ended his career. Oh, and he he came back and raced a couple races just to prove he could race again. But he never was at that level. He was on a podium Ouch. a couple races earlier. Valentin Gerard Monet, very good racer. Mm. Um, Eric Gay crashed very hard. There was like three, four crashes in Yuck. that section that were just season enders, and it was not good. And so, yes, funny, but not that funny. <laughs> some some yin and yang in that story. Because, uh, you know, the next question is, what what's the scariest accident you've had? A hell, it might be the same, but uh, but I'm curious to hear what if you've got anything else. Actually, the thing that kind of, I came back from that. Uh-huh. And 2018, I had been on the podium in the Korean Olympics. I was on the podium there. I was on the podium in St. Moritz for the World Championships which I missed because of that big knee injury. But the next year was the Olympics. And so I was like, I got to get back. I know this course. I was just at one with the place and fought my way back. I had two races to qualify, Vengen and Kitzbühel, which are very daunting hills. Mm -hmm. And I came in and ended up qualifying. Wow. I uh, was top 15 in Kitzbühel, qualified for the games. Next race, Garmisch. One year, well, one day, 364 days later, blew my other knee. Same uh, place. Two, two turns 
three turns further down on the course. <laughs> oh, and that's Germany, right, Garmisch? Yeah, yeah. Whoa. But I think that crash was so big the year prior. I think the other knee was just holding on by a thread. Because if you watch the crash, it looked like it was my right knee that should have blown. So I missed the Olympics, even though I qualified for it. Mm. That that was a bummer. Uh, yeah, that's painful. Then the, I had another comeback. Came back the next year. We had World Championships in Sweden. And right before Sweden, a few weeks before in Vengen, I caught an edge. My ski had burned, which is where the edge between the edge and the the ptex base the plastic base uh-huh if you slide your ski or if it's really icy the friction basically burns it and and Whoa. creates a railed edge which makes it hard to turn never heard and of that. i went over this all you do is ski on soft snow so yeah you know, right. i'm soft <laughs> so went over this kind of like little drop and when i went over the drop my ski kind of shifted out and it was stuck and it railed out and Ooh. i thought i thought i was gonna blow like knock my knees in and blow my knees but my ski hooked up and then i need myself in the face Ooh! and uh i never got knocked out but it was such a hard hit and nothing happened to my knees luckily and i got up and it's like all right that was intense but then i was just like out of it i never had a concussion before Oof. and got to kitzbühel we were in this hotel that was just like purple and neon green and all this all these colors and Gross. music constantly playing and i was just like i i i hate everything right now like everything <laughs> is annoying i cannot focus kitzbühel is way too much for me right now so i, I pulled the plug on that and i just said mm -hmm. i need a i have a concussion i need to figure this out right and i just went into this kind of recovery protocol very silent very uh dark kind of recovery phase and then i went up to sweden and actually had the best super g race of my career but um weird yeah that i'd say to me after that i was pretty cautious um it changed you after destroying my knees I've broken both legs. I've blown both Achilles. Like those didn't really make me question much. It was when I need myself in the face. I Weird. Was, I was just like, this is a lot, man. I don't know if it just slowed things down or what, but that was, I think, the scariest. Maybe knock some sense into me. Well, the brain, right? Yeah. Anytime your brain is affected, that is terrifying, right? So yeah, no, I, I can see how that that would be the case. How many friends have you lost in the mountains? I mean, there's a lot of people that I know, a lot of people that were heroes to me. Mm -hmm. um, the biggest ones were these two kids, uh, Bryce Assel and Ronnie Burlack. They were young development team kids on the US ski team. Mm -hmm. And we were in Europe, got a call that uh, those two died in Solden, just skiing as a powder day. They're out skiing. Mm -hmm jumped off piste and the thing ripped and the two were buried and they couldn't get them out in time. And I think that really affected that generation of skiers. A lot of kids moved on, went to college. I think there's kind of a gap in this men's development during those years, because that was, that was tough. 
That's really um, interesting. But some of those kids have come back, and Eric Ardvitson, for one, he's he's on the team and he's skiing really well now. Uh, but he was there, and it was oh. really hard on them to uh, be digging their friends out, hoping to save their lives. But Bryce was a kid that. I knew of him was on my radar for a long time because he's a Utah boy. Oh. Um, I sent him sent him gear, suits, helped him out however I could, and he had a high potential. And then uh, Ronnie was always funny, always joking around on the team, and just just a bright personality that that motivated everybody around him. So that really kind of hit hard. And to me, growing up at Sundance, there's you're under the mountains it's big like it's mm -hmm. a small resort and it's relatively safe we've we've had some deaths in the past but it's it's the peaks above mount tempanogos that has a big big huge mountains man. that can that are powerful and that can rip out and so i've seen it and um i've known the power of the mountains and in the u.s everything's so controlled and everybody thinks they can go anywhere but when you get to europe it's no there's on piece off piece off piece you're at your own risk and that's not mm -hmm. controlled and and people just don't understand that i should say americans don't understand that but when you're in europe and you're reading the newspapers every day it's like oh, two more people died oh people died over here it's mm -hmm. it's it's, it's a common occurrence mm -hmm. so having that understanding and that respect for the mountains is key well, thanks for sharing that about Bryce and Ronnie and uh, so sorry that happened. And have you been in any avalanches? Nothing all too big. In Alaska, I've had one that everything kind of started sliding. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I got out of it easily. It was mm -hmm. fine. And it was relatively safe. And then at Sundance, I was climbing side country in the spring and the whole mountain just started moving. Whoa. I was I was trying to ski this kind of this ravine that leads into this run called Hills Headwall. But you're accessing down this ridge. And as I kind of got off the ridge, the whole mountain just started rolling. I was like, all right, we're we're not going there. Yuck, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I let it all roll down through the the gut, but I just stayed on the ridge and got out of there. My next question is gonna make you giggle. Have you ever been hurt while skiing? <laughs> I mean, you already well, mentioned it. I guess more now is more like, can you give us a list? I think I'm, I think I'm quite balanced and hopefully done with everything, but <laughs> broke this hand, broke this hand. I'm actually going to get all the, this is kind of what ended my career. Oh, you winter. broke your hand this year, huh? It's December. Um, I have a plate here, here, nine screws. I had yeah, your hand looks weird. all the way across the hand. I couldn't Ooh. like, this was like all the range I had when the pins were in there, but now I can move it and do everything Whoa. luckily there was a ton of powder last year so didn't have to like move my wrist i could just have big pole <laughs> plants there you go countless ribs i broke my left leg what was that one that was the first one right when i was named to the ski team 2002 oh i went to venice was skateboarding snapped my fibula in uh a, a bowl <laughs> oh your <laughs> all, coach was so happy with you. i was like ah just broke my leg literally it was like two days after i was named to the oski team oh my happy. god broke my right leg altamark 2004 europe cup downhill won the downhill the day prior i was like the first american to win the europe cup downhill since bill johnson in the 80s damn so i was like 
really exciting. And then I went to back it up and snap my leg. Damn. Had a rod put in, taken out there for my left Achilles Copper Mountain 2011. Oof. That was early morning. It was negative 30. Yuck. Hit this turn. And we were skiing with the girls, and there's like opposing ruts, different lines. And when I landed, one foot went out in the other rut, and one went in the other rut. And so it was very flat. And I was stuck with my legs really wide, legs straight, and like bent forward. And I couldn't get out of that position. I thought my knees Ugh. were going to buckle backwards. Ugh. And finally, an edge caught, and I f- slid, and I stood up. And I was like, man, my foot feels like it's straight up and down in my boot. But I thought it was just because it was numb and freezing cold out. Uh-huh. So I started skiing and I took a left foot of turn. I was like, oh, that really hurts. And I was like, I, I think I tore my Achilles. Oh. <laughs> and so, uh, yes, I did. Won, won a race the next year, 2012. That was pretty cool. That's huge. Um, then tore my right achilles 2020 mount hood covid couldn't go train on anything good so we we're in mount hood it was really warm you saw the snow there and where mm-hmm. i was aiming for ice and i thought it was icing i had a lot of pressure on this turn and it went from ice to soft and it just gave out and so i slid and as i was sliding my tip hit a gate and just ripped my other achilles and i knew it right there Ew. and my oh. teammate was like I, I was like, hey, man, I just tore my Achilles. And he's like, no, you didn't. No chance. I'm like, no, it's <laughs> like it's torn. And so I kind of I said, can you get my backpack when you're done? I'm just going to kind of <laughs> pick my way down the mountain. Oh, and I did and got down and flew home. <laughs> yeah, oh, <laughs> and that was brutal. it. Um, and then I did my left knee ACL, MCL, PCL, lateral compartment, and my right knee ACL. But no meniscus no cartilage everything's been uh relatively healthy inside there i think that allowed for great recoveries but i also uh attribute that to a lot of the the health gurus and and techniques that i've used over the years and i'm gonna ask you about that later too because i forget what it's even called but i love that you do that stuff uh well i was counting on my fingers and i got up to eight so um so yeah you've you've been you've been hurt before uh and recovered from all of them that's insane man so well done It's it's a lot of work uh, you've been on ski trips all over the world. What was your favorite ski trip? I've never really experienced Alaska until recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, the past three, four years, I've gone up there a few times. Mm-hmm. And every time has been incredibly special. It's just it's just wild up there. So massive. So endless. Like the, uh, the options are endless. Mm-hmm. And I could pick around there forever. A place I'd really like to go again is Sochi, Russia. Oh, because wow. it, it was it was always the Olympics and and task mm-hmm. at hand, the race. Mm-hmm. But the mountains there were massive and lift access, Alaska style mm-hmm. skiing with lift access. And then you can be at the ocean in 45 minutes. That's crazy. And, or not the ocean, but the Black Sea. That place is incredible. I'd love to pluck around there a lot more. It's that's and, high on and, my list. On the way home, we had a stopover in Istanbul, and I was like, I don't, I don't want to go to to uh, Austria. Like, I, I spent plenty of time there. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to stay here. And I just hopped out by myself and <laughs> stayed in Istanbul for like three, four days. And that was really, really cool to uh, just walk around solo. Didn't know a thing. It was a 
the cross section of the world. Like so mm -hmm. many cultures have taken over that area throughout history and just to see everything that's existed there was was eye-opening and i i had no previous knowledge like true knowledge there so uh that was a ton of fun to just go explore and that's what i say like when you're when you're skiing skiing's amazing whatnot but i love just experiencing the area the culture the people typically in the summer we go to chile and we'll go in august and we'll go near the end of september the one year that sticks in my mind is i stayed there mm. for uh between both camps and just rome chile nice and i i actually had a ski technician her name's pamela warman and she uh was the only ski technician that was female on the men's tour for sure uh -huh. but she's she's from chile and oh. she kind of has this wild story and was disowned by her family she basically ran away oh. because she was married very very young and uh and hated it didn't like her life she had children and ended up just saying i i, I gotta get out of here and ran away to america and created her life there and was reuniting with her family and basically all her boys that she tuned for were like her her boys uh -huh. and she was like steven i want you to be with me to show my family like i have created a life that's successful and and i'm i'm not just coming back begging i'm just showing them like hey like this is who i am this is what i do mm -hmm. anyway she ended up reuniting with her her kids and has a great relationship with them as well and i got to be there when she reunited with her brother and her father wow. and all that stuff and very cool um, very very cool but I don't know how you do it because that amount of time without color, <laughs> like I was in just brown and white for <laughs> like a long two months. Time. I was like, all right, I need some spring. I need some color here. So I actually hitchhiked from Portillo. I, I hitchhiked down. I, I was with my coach. I was like, man, I, I like, I gotta leave. Just give me a few days. And I hitchhiked mm -hmm. down to Los Andes and it was spring and stuff was growing. And I just oh, like, laid nice. on park benches and read books and, and just ate food and kind of recharged in the sun and then went back up for the last few days of camp. <laughs> nice. But yeah. You guys have to come down and visit me in Bariloche because it's green and full of trees and huge lakes here. It's not like the, like the Chilean Andes where it's just rocks and dirt. And it's so uh, high. Yeah, full yeah. of animals, birds everywhere. It's, it's cool. Yeah. And there's no snow in town. So you don't have to shovel yeah. ever. It's really nice. You, you dig nice. it. Is Easy there... Life. Yeah, it's, it is easy here, at least compared to God, compared to the winter we had in the north. Uh, is there anywhere you'd not go back to? There's a lot of like poor <laughs> situations that we were put into. But if <laughs> but that that was more like Fiss's fault of <laughs> we're all stuck in this hotel and they negotiate X rate with the hotel. So the rate the hotel's not actually like putting forth the best effort to feed us and whatnot. So <laughs> like the food was pretty bad but to me all the mountains are quite incredible it's it's a ton of fun bansko mm -hmm. bulgaria the skiing is amazing massive so cool bulgaria but, oh, the, wow. the, the, the hotel and the food were just <laughs> horrendous but when we left and we'd just go to restaurants because we were just like we can't eat this food anymore the restaurants were incredible and the people are incredible just opening their door to us and haggling and and trying to get us to buy their stuff and and experience um, their meat and whatever it was it was a ton of fun 
Is there anywhere you haven't gone skiing yet and you really want to go there? Japan. Never been to Japan. Oh, really? Oh, man. You're going to have a good time. I'd I'd love to be down where you are. Patagonia, Mm -hmm. Argentina, Mm -hmm. southern tip down there would be quite incredible. I'd love to do some boat access stuff like in Norway. Ski down Mm -hmm. to the ocean. Ski ski to, to a boat. That would be yes. super fun. Norway, Svalbard. Yeah, you gotta you gotta do those trips. What's yeah. what's your favorite ski movie of all time? Ski movie? Mm-hmm. Six Cents, baby. Oh yeah, nice. <laughs> I forget who made that one. Matchstick. That is a that was like that, that that was transformative. That was something that just opened the eyes of a lot of people. What to, what hit to... what hit you from that movie? It was it was the tricks. It was the twin tips. The mm-hmm. Solomon 1080 kind of just changed the paradigm, broadened perspective. People were like, "Wait, backwards, landing backwards, skiing backwards? That's amazing!" <laughs> but it's so funny to to look at it now. You're like, "Wow, this is so basic." Yeah, yeah. But Five forties were like, a big deal. I don't know how it took that long to. Mm-hmm. to be exposed i mean it, it kind of was there in the 70s but yeah we were Ballet. pretty rudimentary i think i'd say six <laughs> cents was was um eye-opening to me and and um the canadian air force yeah were so cool i think was it three fills were they in that mm-hmm. i don't know three it fills, was, it, it was just cool to watch i watched that countless times and it'd be fun to pull it up and toss it on again absolutely what challenges the most intellectually on a daily basis right now number one patience with my children Mm, oh yeah really really (laughs) knowing that they're learning how to navigate this world and so i need to really slow down because i'm i'm like boom 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 let's go let's go let's go let's Uh stop wasting time like come on let's go (laughs) but they just want to express themselves or they've had experiences that they need to let out you know Uh and i need to stop and listen and put myself at their level and in turn when i do that it's everything's going to go faster um so yeah <laughs> just just really like slowing down but currently really expanding into the the business world mm-hmm. and i think it's a lot of fun i I went to this tuck next step program this spring mm-hmm. that was a crash course in everything business and trying to grasp anything from supply chain to accounting to management to um whatever it is it it was a lot of information and then i'm currently in this program at harvard that's the business of sport and yeah congrats man that's so cool yeah that's a ton of fun and and we're just studying a bunch of sport cases and discussing them and what would you do i don't know if i'll get into the business of sport but it's just fun to stretch my brain in that way and and learn the language of business as well so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited for what's next i have some ideas and can't really expose them right now well i can't but, wait yeah. to hear what they are when they are exposable <laughs> <laughs> what, what might be your favorite book or your favorite books i feel like the fountainhead changed my perspective on life back in the day Ayn Rand Ayn Rand yeah Mm. um and right now I'm in Rick Rubin's book Mm. it basically is was written to 
promote creativity and generate ideas within people. And that's, that's been something that's kind of lit a fire under me. That's huge. And that's the whole idea of books for me is that inspiration and directionality. And uh, just quick note, Fountainhead changed my life. Uh, I read that when I, my first guiding job in Alaska and like September, nobody comes anymore. And I just was in this little cabin at the end of the road, greeting people and nobody was coming to be in the middle of nowhere in Alaska and reading about, you know, downtown Manhattan every day. It was one of the most immersive experiences I've had from a book. And uh, it definitely changed my, my, and I, some of those, you know, skews, you know, the, the value of selfishness and all that uh, I had already, but so it was very validating also, but that's cool to hear that connect with you on that. Cause that, that book changed my life. Uh, and I'm also curious who has inspired you the most in your life. I'd, I'd say there's a few people. My father is like the most patient giving person that I've known. He sacrificed so much when we were younger. We didn't grow up with much. My brother was was doing his taxes uh, when he was a ski bum when he was in the movies. My dad ran ski school for 20 years. My brother was doing his taxes, and he's like, you made $55,000 last year? And he's like, yeah. And my dad's like, I raised you boys on $35,000 a year. Oh, whoa. <laughs> we're like, what? And there's four oh. of you, right? There's four of us. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I did not know, but they they mortgaged the house a few times to help pay mm. for my ski racing, which I'm glad they never told me because <laughs> right. that would have put a lot of pressure on me. My older yeah. brother, he quit ski racing. And I think it's he understood that. Mm -hmm. I think I was just so focused on like right. Olympics, baby. Yeah. Um, to raise a family on that amount of money is just that was mind-blowing to me and, crazy. And, and we had gardens and we care took homes up at, at sundance so we didn't these people that had their second homes they just let us live there and we'd hop from home to home to home every year or so and they saved their money over time and end up buying a lot and building their house up there well done and uh doing a lot of stuff on his own or with his friends so it was it was a very cool life and and i never felt like we were strapped we were always given uh all the opportunity in the world we had a lot of friends that had a lot of things that would invite us places it was a really special upbringing not being affluent but not being not feeling like we didn't have anything well say more I, you know i think maybe start with just describe sundance for us i think a lot of people don't know what it is where it is and uh, and like, what was it? I would love to hear about the A-list celebrities. Robert Redford owned it. But yeah, just, just just start from that. What the hell is Sundance? <laughs> so in 1969, Redford bought it. It previously was called Temp Haven. Mm -hmm. And uh, Temp Haven, you're underneath Mount Timpanogos, which mm -hmm. is this massive, um, uh, massive, long mountain. You've obviously... Uh, What's it called there? The big, the big, there's one of the famous cores there. It's, I did a uh, cold fusion 50, and right? grunge. Yeah. Uh, grunge core. That thing's um, scary. So this is a highly, this is a high Alpine, big exposed mountain that uh, has a lot of power behind it. But on the South East tail of the mountain, Sundance sits and it's small. Uh, it had three lifts back in the day, two, fixed doubles and a fixed triple on the back. No, sorry, I had four lifts, two triples on the back mountain. So there's the front mountain, then they'll go down, and then there's a back mountain. The back mountain has the bigger, uh, gnarlier terrain, mm -hmm. and there's flathead, 
Arrowhead, and then Navajo and Mandan were the doubles on the front. When I was young, they took the doubles out, made one quad, fixed quad, then went up and over to the back mountain. Anyway, over time, when Redford bought this, he was at the height of his career. All kinds of people come up there. The, the stories of like the BGs, like it was, it was wild. Apparently, <laughs> that they just come up there and party and 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 uh, and ski. And Willie Nelson came up there a bunch. He had a couple concerts. The photos wow. from these concerts, just tens of thousands of people just strewn across the the slopes. And wow. Anyway, he came back. I worked at the out. They have an outdoor theater there. Mm-hmm. that is just beautiful you're staring at the mountain behind this this theater you're sitting outside on the grass and and listening to this music or watching plays and stuff mm-hmm. but that's where willie nelson performed and i worked there as uh the staff from concessions to whatever i drove the tractor that hauled people up mm-hmm. the mountain to the place <laughs> nice. um during that time willie nelson came back i think it was like 30 years later and performed again and it was wow. so chaos people oh, sneaking in through the woods to to oh, I'm sure. watch the show anyway uh redford owned it until two years ago it was acquired by this boutique hotel company in uh san francisco and now mm-hmm. they're putting a bunch of capital trying to really maximize that. i think it's incredible because it's Great. outside of utah valley which is provo orem spanish fork lehigh american fork anyway there's a million people in that valley and mm-hmm. this is the only ski area 15 minutes away Mm-hmm. And, and so yeah, close. you can drive an hour to park city or snowbird or whatever but this is just right there super easy when the storms are a south a southern flow it nails there like we get more oh, yeah. than snowbird or the cottonwood canyons but if mm-hmm. it's northern flow they obviously the mountain blocks it we don't mm-hmm. get that much and the the cottonwoods get a lot more this past winter was so cool because there's so much snow it just kept piling up and and they have nowhere to put it and they just kept like <laughs> trying to push it off to the sides and the parking lot kept shrinking and shrinking and it was just like your own private little ski area if you got there on time you had your parking spot and you're the only the only people there it was amazing um, I, I still haven't skied there i gotta go man yeah this winter i'll take it it's let's do it so anyway uh, Redford owned it. It has this Americana vibe, a very good feel, uh, very classy. Um, not doesn't have this 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 resort cookie cutter base areas. It's just nice restaurants, a uh, little general store, and it's about the outdoors and skiing. And Redford wanted it as his haven, a place to get away, a place to inspire himself and a way a way our family made more money was we had did landscaping in the summer but it, was, it wasn't really Smart. much landscaping it was all maintenance of the homes up there mm-hmm. and so it was mowing lawns weeding gardens sometimes we plant flowers sometimes we'd have to get shovels and move rocks and big stuff but it was always by hand it, my dad never like rented big machinery <laughs> to like do any of this stuff so nice it was tough work and it's obviously in the mountains there's a lot of hills a lot of pushing the mowers i use it as training i'd sprint up the mountain pushing these mowers and walk back down and sprint back up just in mind beast this will this will work out in the winter (laughs) type thing um and one of the yards we maintained was redford's oh (laughs) and so it, it was really cool but it took a day and a half 
all we did was mow around every tree two lawnmower widths wide mm-hmm. and then somebody else had a sit mower to mow the big the big lawns um mm-hmm. but he grew alfalfa for his horses he had horse mm-hmm. stables he had a tennis court pool baseball field like when he when he had the Whoa movie the natural he actually built a baseball field up there that was really really cool yeah wow um and then there's this garden when you entered his like play his house was below but above there's this play zone with the tennis courts and the baseball field and stuff and we'd always have to trim every week in the flowers it said bob land (laughs) (laughs) that was was a memory i had Um, oh how fun man anyway very nice guy and uh good people i i my mom taught Denzel Washington how to ski. My no way. <laughs> I remember going to the bathroom and uh John Cusack was changing. I think it was just leaving to get to go to the airport or something. He was like stripping <laughs> down in his boxers and putting his clothes on. I'm like, what? Whoa. John Cusack. Like, That's I want so my two cool. dollars. <laughs> yeah, I should have said that. <laughs> so um, yeah, the people you'd run into there, they they wanted us get away and not be recognized and not Mm -hmm. be in the the hustle that is park city but the sundance Mm -hmm. film festival started there Mm -hmm. uh they still have screenings there but everything's mostly in park city obviously because it can take that but in the summer there's the sundance institute there's the screenwriters edition it's a very art-based community a lot Mm -hmm. of people go there to learn about film production to learn about art to be inspired to produce art Mm-hmm. As a kid, we obviously couldn't afford academy life to pursue my ski racing career. So I, I worked with the local public school system and proposed my own curriculums. I'm like, I, I don't need to go to PE. Like, this is what I'm doing. This is, yeah. <laughs> I'm pursuing an Olympic skiing career. I train hard enough, blah, 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 blah. So I didn't have to go to PE in high school. So that got me out of high school early and i said all right i don't need to go to art class i'm gonna learn from these like professional artists at sundance wow during the summer and here's what i'm gonna do is like jewelry making pottery ceramics uh oil canvas painting whatever it is glass blowing i gotta learn there (laughs) under the tutelage of these professional artists wow and that got me out of school as well so basically i worked it to where i could leave school in Orem at noon and drive to Park City and uh train in the afternoon and that all worked out <laughs> what a just insanely fantastical way to grow up man and to be living on that mountain I personally think it's the most beautiful place on the Rocky Mountains uh Mount Timpanogos with the snow and the striations and then all the aspen trees fluttering it's it's stunning there and then I, I would just say for our listeners Robert Redford, just in case they didn't know for some reason, is a very famous actor. And his fam- most famous movie might be uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And so my guess is that's where filmed the name up came there. from. Some of it filmed up there. Some and of it filmed up there. I think that's how he discovered it. They filmed hmm. part of it up there. And then, uh, no, it was Jeremiah Johnson. Sorry, Jeremiah Johnson. Oh, I love that there. movie too. Yeah. And that's where he saw it. And he was like, I want this place. <laughs> and it's wild what he bought it for. I forgot the number, but it bought bought it for like fifty to seven thousand dollars. No <laughs> like shit! Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. nuts, man. Yeah, well, that's who I love that backstory too. Well, well, thank you for sharing all that. I think Sundance is obviously such a special place. During that time was even more special potentially, and getting to grow up there in that way is, uh, you know, obviously completely formed who you are 
Well, let's jump into uh, more ski racing questions. I'm just going to rattle off some stats here to start. So, and if I'm wrong on any of these, correct me, but this is what I looked up. So, so you skied in the World Cup at age 20 and you got 15th in the slalom in your very first ever World Cup race, which must have been awesome. You've been ski racing on the World Cup since 2002, uh, I think 14 full World Cup seasons. You've skied in three Winter Olympics. You have won three World Cup downhill races. You've been on the World Cup podium 11 times, all in the downhill events, which are both gnarly and badass. You have achieved four World Cup podiums in the downhill in 2016 alone. Uh, so I want to hear more about that moving forward. Uh, you were ranked sixth overall in the downhill in 2015 and 2016. And you know, my, my first question on this is, is deeply personal. You know, and I feel like I know you a little bit, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go deep here. But are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with your career and where you ended up? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Short answer. <laughs> I accomplished all my dreams, obviously. It was like I've I've done some incredible things, but I think the hard part right now is I have such a belief and good knowledge of what I need to do. My, mm -hmm. I think my body just couldn't keep up anymore. It, it's so taxing on your body oh, downhill. Insane, man. And so I was like, ah, I have it. I have this vision in my head. I know what I need to do. I feel like things were lining up and pieces were in place, but um, it just, my body couldn't keep up with it. And I feel like stuff kind of got taken away with that big knee injury mm. the, the the four podiums in 2016 you said yeah that those were actually four in a row no okay um, i missed that something Damn. clicked no, you were no feeling americans it. ever no american male has ever had four downhill podiums in a row wow and uh i was firing on all cylinders it was very cool you were ready uh, first one was in korea Next one was in Chamonix. Next one was in Kvitfield. Next one was in St. Moritz. St. Moritz World Champs were the next year. And then Korea was the Olympics two years after that. So things were like lining up. I was in my prime. like And you, and you were 34, is in, that right? Yeah, I was 34. Sorry, continue. Yeah, something, something in there. Just healthy as an ox. We had great coaches, <laughs> great trainers just fell on top of the world. It was, it was very, very cool. Very special place to be. And then, uh, yeah, then the knee happened. Um, that same season or was it like the, no, the, no, the, no, the, next... that, the season ended okay. at St. Moritz. The first race that year, Val d'Azer, I think I was 10th. I had Ooh. some boot issues. I got these new boots that I was all fired up on, but mm -hmm. then I realized that they, even though I, it was so dumb because I just had four <laughs> podiums in a row, but I was like, uh -huh. oh, so let's good. change. Yeah. And then uh, uh, got to the first race, realized they didn't work on the World Cup, shifted back to the old boot, and the tempo was off. So I kind of had mm. a few mistakes. Then the next race, Gardena, I ended up being second or third. Wow. And then Garmish, I, I destroyed my knee. Freaking was Garmish. in the lead at that time. Garmish, man. Yeah, but I have been a, I, I have been fourth at Garmish before, so oh, wow. um, it's it's given me the good and the bad. Oh, <laughs> what was oh. happening that season that made you perform at that higher level in Yongpyeong, Korea? I had trouble in the beginning of that season. Stuff stuff wasn't totally dialed, and it was basically the the canting, the alignment of my boots. And once I figured that out, it was it was on again. But I basically laid to myself this. I said, okay, 
we're wiping the slate clean. I feel great. Things are good. Whatever happened earlier in the season is gone. Like, let's maximize the rest of the season. Korea is perfect because nobody's ever raced there. We're, we're all starting on this even playing field. And I'm going to go in here with a beginner's mind. And I just like brainwash myself there. <laughs> I, I got my phone out and I've, I don't know if people do this or I've never seen anybody do it, but I just took pictures of every turn and those, those trigger points, those, those initiation points of every single turn. I'd take a picture on my phone. So I had it and that and gave me an, an advantage to where I could just inspect again and again and again. I know everybody only had that one opportunity and then they got to race down the course and then they got to inspect it again. Like I was like, no, if I take pictures, then I can flip through the phone and really just like convince myself of this, 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 this. And I did that and uh, skied very well. I messed up the last second to last turn. I should have won that race, but whatever. (laughs) Anyway, that kind of like set the ball rolling and Chamonix, there was a place I had raced there. They they usually race there every four years. And I raced there, saw what I needed to do, but just had these issues. And we hadn't been back there in a long time. I think that was, the first year I raced there was like the beginning of my career. Then mm-hmm. four years later, we raced there. Marco Sullivan won, but I was I yeah, had back issues and all I wasn't in the right place, but I knew what I needed to do there. And finally, like body was good equipment was good everything was dialed and i was like all right time to execute and i loved how i skied there and then kvitville always made sense to me but i never same thing had been like really in top form Mm -hmm. and then saint moritz was the same thing this brand new course to me that i had to just kind of tear apart and really convince myself of of what was possible and i loved the creativity that i brought to that hill how i was like placing my turns in certain sections and and I do this like weird thing where there's holes I can like bring my feet together and, and get apart like some people will charge mm-hmm. through the holes and I just like kind of dance around on my skis when when they're very reactive and I know how mm-hmm. they're going to perform I love the way I was just kind of like playing around these these tough sections mm-hmm. and getting away with it so it was a fun time to be in the zone and and just i had a very humble attitude but i was very much like watch this like trying to (laughs) trying to show the world Mm -hmm. what was possible but i wasn't brash about it i was just like oh yeah watch this you know and it it was cool to have that confidence of like it's on and you stare at everybody in the world who are the best and you're just like oh i got you i got you i got you and then kitzbühel was always very daunting to me my entire career yeah, well, Kitzbühel is supposed to be the most scary run, right? The most scary racetrack. Yeah, it's it's kind of the most in-your-face downhill mm-hmm. there is. It's it's shorter, but it's just like super intense, very flat, easy, intense, flat, easy, mm-hmm. very intense, finish type Whoa. deal. And I was just so intimidated. My first year on the World Cup Tour, I actually got a spot through the Norams, was told I could race the first few races, and then I'd go back to the Norams to learn some more. Well, I got to the World Cup in Lake Louise on the Norams. I'd never done well there. It's always crappy mm-hmm. snow. It was tough for me to feel out. I got there for the World Cup. It was rock hard ice. I actually fell over 
the one of the first training runs still won the training run and i was Whoa. like it's on i love this this is great <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I ended up 17th i think 17th or 11th like or 14th maybe my first world cup downhill wow uh, and then i went to beaver creek and was 22nd and then i went to uh gardena i crashed but i saw what i needed to do there like right off the bat i was like this is mine i love mm -hmm. this hill Mm -hmm. then i went to bormeo they were like okay well we'll keep him rolling because he's doing well went to bormeo mm -hmm. ended up 26th or 27th mm -hmm. then vengen i was top 30 as well and then i went to kitzbühel and i was just like i do not want to do this this is <laughs> like, this doesn't make sense to me uh -huh. and basically for the first probably eight years of my career it did not make sense to me it was it was so hard for me to convince myself see the lines what i needed to do Mm. and uh, later when they shortened the course I later figured out how to really approach the lower sections which is what would eat me up mm -hmm. uh, I ended up fourth or fifth in 2016 there wow. uh, but they they shortened about half its natural length mm -hmm. and I just at the bottom I wasn't tired and I went for it mm -hmm. and I realized by going off the Hausberg, the Red Bull Arch, and then that right foot fall away turn, and then you drop across the the Hausberg kind of the side hill there. Mm -hmm. When you're tired, you kind of want to go out wide and and elongate the turn and take it easier. But then I realized when I had that energy, I took the inside bad boy line, and I realized, wait, this is way easier. Why? Why am I? <laughs> Why am I going out there? Like the timing's harder, the 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 forces are harder. That gets eaten up. So many more people go out that way. It's just it's just a joke. But if you go inside, it puts you at the follow. The terrain jumps, falls away there, and you mm -hmm. lose contact with the snow. Well, if you're approaching it at ninety degrees, you drop down and you kind of have your weight on your heels, and it's harder. Mm -hmm. But if you approach it at a steeper angle it actually elongates the terrain to where you can jump, get on the backside, connect to the snow earlier and accelerate across the side hill. I realized that that year. And I was like, Oh man, like I've been, <laughs> I, I could have done line this. is actually the easier line. <laughs> <laughs> it looks way more intimidating because you're staring at a red fence right in front of it. And yes, if something goes wrong, like it's really bad, Yeah, but it's a higher consequence, but it's actually easier to accomplish. So anyway, I, I, figure that out in time and I love kiss bill but I never got to actually stand on the podium there but I, I have it in my head and I've been leading to that Hausberg Conte the Hausberg jump the Red Bull arch probably four or five times and it's fun to just Whoa. trade ideas with uh the other racers Dominic Paris who's kind of the I think the winningest all time there mm -hmm. there's a section called the Alta Schneise which is the middle of the course you get off the first flat section and you jump onto this pitch and it's this long straight pitch but there's actually three kind of rolls in the pitch mm -hmm. and everybody just tucks and tries to go as fast as they can down this thing but if you actually pump those you're going to gain more speed mm -hmm. and nobody thinks of that and, I, and like I, I watch everybody and nobody's doing it but i watched mm -hmm. dom the, a few years ago and he was doing it and i went ah. up to him like because I, I crush people in that section. It's uh -huh. awesome. I just put time on them there. <laughs> and uh, and I saw Dom and I was like, I see what you do there. And he's like, yes, I learned from you, Stevie. That's like such a compliment, you know? Absolutely. Um, 
And yeah, where was your mindset at after that, those four podiums in a row? How did you envision your future at that moment? It was just, dude, that summer was so fun. Yeah. <laughs> just bet. rolled into the summer of just, it's on like training. Mm-hmm. I was just, my gas tank was full. Mm-hmm. Everything's going to, everything's firing and, and, and it's on baby. We had just this group of guys in park city. We had this trainer, Tony Baretsky. He was this, uh, Austrian special forces guy. Ooh. And, and I love the way that he trained us in the summer. Everything was, the structure was basically all body Mondays and Thursdays. Tuesdays and Fridays were full body core sessions. And then that was all in the morning. Then the afternoons, usually on uh, Mondays and Thursdays, were just focused on recovery. Very easy, like hour and a half, spin it out, hike it out type thing. Mm -hmm. And then in the afternoons on Tuesday and Friday were sprint sessions, uh, something that was very anaerobic. And then Wednesdays and Saturdays were long slow distance so we'd just go hike or bike for three four hours well and we we had a whole clan of us the the team was all firing on all cylinders like everybody was punching in there every weekend and we were all training together and it was it was just a ton of fun to push each other weekend day in day out uh in the gym outside of the gym skiing like we were competitive and we were uh, it's such a high level and, and I was just so energetic, I bet. um, summer training in Chile. I was just crushing everybody. It was so fun. <laughs> it felt good. I bet. <laughs> just laying it down. The skis the we had were so fast. We were developing good stuff and, and knowing like, all right, it's on. But then, like I said, got to the first race and realized what I was using wasn't working Best with your boots. World Cup. Yeah, why'd I why'd I mess with it? <laughs> um, but I, I got back to the old stuff, started firing again. So it, it was it's just a cool place to be and and to set goals after a winter, realizing all right, these are my strengths. I, I'm mm-hmm. a big believer in maximizing my strengths, mm-hmm. never never compromise my strengths to hopefully boost another area. Like mm-hmm. my strengths are my strengths, and that's what's got me to that level. I need mm-hmm. to maintain or maximize those strengths before i'm like really pushing the other levels higher and, and yeah. what was your unique strength on the world tour and the u.s ski team like what what, what set you apart it's kind of funny but my endurance is my strength ah. and i've had trainers come in and they're like your endurance is plenty high your numbers are too plenty high you don't need to do as much endurance let's focus on power or explosivity and and really trying to develop that during the summer mm-hmm. but i those were my dark years i, I uh-huh. really did not excel because i wasn't uh maintaining my strengths and i was trying to push for too much in other sections and i compromise my my recovery and my uh endurance like mm. endurance creates recovery we're, mm-hmm. we're on the mountain for six seven hours in the morning yeah, mm-hmm. our runs are only a minute to two minutes long training, but when we do whatever, six of them, so our lactic threshold spikes, mm-hmm. you got to flush that out to get the next run going. Well, that's that's what all that endurance work trains is, is mm-hmm. to help flush that out and get you ready for the next run. 
they also said I'm too flexible. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, they didn't want me to stretch as much. And when I wasn't stretching, stuff was breaking. Yeah. Hurt. I was so painful. Like my body was just in pain. But once I kept stretching, figured out that routine, maximized my endurance, and then worked on the other stuff, that's when things excelled. Uh, I really like Tony's work because we do these full body circuits mm-hmm. on the the Monday and and Thursdays and the Tuesdays and Fridays of the cores. We do the full body circuits, but from the circuit, we would then move after we fatigued our body, we'd move into some coordinative work. So trying to function through these coordinative obstacle courses or whatever under fatigue, which is what if you can train how to function under fatigue and excel at that that's what's going to set you apart when you get to that last quarter of the course when everybody's mm-hmm. starting to back off or everybody's feeling tired mm-hmm. no if you can focus under fatigue and perform you're going to just start pulling away because 90 percent of the field is going to start throttling back mm-hmm. uh, or or like hop on a slack line and and challenge yourself on a slack line while you're fully spent that's that was the type of training he was uh really focused on and i i love that and i thought that brought a lot out in me that was kind of what i learned was really maximizing my strengths and my strengths were endurance and flexibility it sounds so dumb but it it, it, like Mm -hmm. for such a powerful sport but yeah but there's got to be something that sets you apart right And, and i agree with that you know as i've learned more over the years about athletic performance you know i even had a one of my supervisors when I first started guiding on Mount Rainier, he basically asked me, he's like, so listen, if you have a killer three-point jump shot, but your crossover isn't very good, what should you work on? Which 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 of those two should you work on more? And I was like, well, you know, that seems like the obvious answer is work on my crossover because it's less good. He's like, no, work on your jump shot because that's your strength. That's your power. That's what sets you apart. If you can make that even stronger, people won't be able to keep up. And, you know, I think that 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 happens a lot. Speaking of keeping up in, in all this, t- tell us about this weird thing you told me about in Alaska this year. So Stephen came skiing with us in Alaska year, this year. It was awesome. And he was helping some people out with his his sort of medical genre. And I forget what you called it, but I thought it was really interesting and I wanted to learn more. It's advanced muscle integration technique. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, the more popular version is called MAT, muscle activation technique, but mm-hmm. it doesn't hold. It's it's very rudimentary. AMITmethod.com is where you can find it. Thank you. Um, you look at, you can isolate every single muscle in the body. So the the VMO in, in your quad isn't just a VMO. There's actually four divisions to that VMO. So when you're squatting down and the pain doesn't and, and occur. Tell us what VMO to, is. Uh, vastus medialis, oblique. Got it. Um, okay. So, so the quadriceps. It's the inside, it's the quad muscle. It's the big kind of bulbous muscle on the medial side of your quad, like Got over it. your knee, the, the inside zone. Say you're doing a squat and you're bending down and you have like pain from here to here, but like mm-hmm. down here is fine mm-hmm. and the very top is fine. Well, you can figure out that division from here to here is actually out and you can turn that on. Uh, basically, you have to test these muscles specifically, figure out which muscle is inhibiting other muscles from functioning. It's applied kinesiology is basically what it is, but mm-hmm. you... uh have these weird hand signals that you do to determine is that the muscle that is kind of like the keystone that's holding things back Mm -hmm. and once you 
figure out what the muscle is, then you stimulate uh, the origin insertion of the muscle with uh, neurovascular and neurolymphatic points. You look at the visceral organ reflex points. Every muscle is related to organs in your body. And then there's acupuncture points, the nerve roots in your spine. So there's a chiropractic side to it. There's a massage side to it. And you have to, it, it's all trigger points or uh, uh, via your hands. There's no injections, no needles, no anything like that. It's just boom, 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 boom. And you're basically reconnecting the circuit breaker to remind your body that this exists and the the muscles are the shock absorber the muscles are the pump they'll get rid of the swelling they'll they'll take the load off of the ligaments and connective tissue in your body and if you can get all those muscles functioning you are a solid unit i never had any injuries where something just ruptured mid-turn it, it was always i smashed into something or just <laughs> like blunt force trauma some massive crash you know <laughs> so um that was i think because i was always balanced and um the way i actually worked my training schedule at the, the the height of my career was i would work out monday tuesday do the recovery wednesday go see my muscle guru wednesday afternoon get balanced again for the second push thursday friday saturday rest sunday go back in, see him Wednesday, you know, just making sure I was building me as a unit from a solid foundation and had all the muscles functioning. So as I worked out, I was building all those muscles together and not trying to play catch up come September when you're like, Oh man, this hurts. I got to figure it out. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's start from a clean slate, a solid foundation and build from there. Cause I know and that you credit that with you know part of your longevity and part of uh, your success in ski racing part of my longevity for sure that mm -hmm. i think that took me to uh new heights new levels um i discovered it in 2004 when i broke my leg uh after that europe cup crash i had a rod put in rod taken out too much pain Oof. in my knee i passed the the back to snow protocol from the ski team but i was just fudging it i was compensating twisting got uh, got away with it but i was in so much pain when i skied uh, and i'd heard about this guy his name's craig bueller Mm -hmm. and i i finally went to see him and it was tora bright who's olympic snowboard gold medalist half pipe. Yeah, i know her she's the one that finally set me over she's like go see this guy go see this guy i went there and uh i couldn't do a single leg squat to save my life mm -hmm. and i walked out of there single leg squat full range motion whoa pain-free Whoa, yeah, one like, session. I sold what, whatever I need to do with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> was, I think it was like an hour or something like that. And, well, I need to go. Um, yeah. He's, mm -hmm. he's pretty incredible. And he's had a lot of people train underneath him. He's, it, it's cool because he's mid to late 70s. Mm -hmm. This old man should not overpower yeah. me, but he, it's very specific how you twist your body to get it in the right range of motion to mm -hmm. test that specific division of the muscle. Mm -hmm. and he's like pushing me with one finger this old man and i'm like how can i not resist this guy <laughs> you know and uh then he'll activate it go through that again you're rock solid and the cool thing about what he says is he says now go push it go out and and, and strain yourself and see if it mm -hmm. breaks ah. whereas a lot of therapists are like all right now rest two to three days and you're like of course right. i feel good after two to three days of rest you know yeah <laughs> so 
Um, he says, go and push it. And if it, and if it does break down, we actually tend to dive deeper and you look at those organs that are associated with the muscles and you say, uh, all right, this is related to the pancreas. Let's look at other muscles that are related to the pancreas, test those. All right, those are shut down too. Hmm, what's going on with your pancreas? Are you drinking? What do you like drinking? You know, and you're like, I, uh -huh. like, I like Diet Coke. It's like, well, there's aspartame in Diet Coke. That's yep. like your your body does not know what to do with that. You're overloading it, stressing the organ, which is uh, shutting down those muscles that are associated with it. You got to cut that from your diet. So it's a very holistic view on on how to live healthy. And I attribute a lot of that longevity to to him. But he was the head chiropractor for the Utah Jazz when they were making their, oh, their wow, runs. Oh, wow, that's big time. 97, 98, like John Stockton, Carl Malone, they accredit their longevity, their Hall of Fame speeches. Well, if it wasn't for Michael Jordan, they'd have some championships. <laughs> Man. Coming back. We're coming back, baby. Yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> and then uh, Denver Broncos, uh, oh. Bill Romanowski, like when the Broncos won their Super Bowls in the 90s as well, mm -hmm. he was part of that team. So, He's touched some pretty incredible people. Lindsey Vaughn, Tor Bright, Sean White, uh, Winter Damn. Sport people, Shannon Barkey. I don't know. All kinds of people roll through that door. It's pretty I'm, wild. I'm going. Let's do it, man. I, I need it, man. I'm getting old. Uh, well, no, I appreciate not. that. Thank you. That's cool. It's very, I'll, get you, uh, I'll get you 20 years. We'll rewind 20 years. Oh, man. I, <laughs> I could use that right now. Trust me. I'm, I feel old as hell right now. End of this big season. Well, cool. Well, thank you for that. That's very uh, mind opening. So I, I need to learn more about that. So I appreciate that. And what was the website one more time? AMITmethod.com. Sweet. Thank you so much. And that could show you hopefully some practitioners in your area. Sweet. Thank you. And so let's jump into the Olympics because I'm, I'm always so curious about this. So you went in 06, 2010 and 2014. And mm -hmm. I, I, the scene uh, the experience of being at the Olympics. Uh, so let's just start. What was your favorite Olympics of those three? Because what's the say... mass? Was it was it Torino, Vancouver, and Sochi? Is that right? Sochi, yes. Okay. I, Torino to me, I Italy. mean everything had that. No, Vancouver was cool because it was it was basically like a home <laughs> games. I had yeah so many wild people there. It yeah. was tons of fun, but I exceeded my expectations. I was I was in a lot of pain, not on top of my game at that time. I think I ended up 17th or something. Or mm. it, it was it was fine, but I just the energy there, and I outperformed where I was currently kind of skiing. Torino, I was new to the scene. That that was my first year full time on the World Cup speed tour. I was just this kid. I think I'd just been fourth in Garmisch. Damn. Um, went to the Olympics all the training at that time you got to vie for your position in the training run. So if you were 30th in the training run, you got first, you got to start first in the race. And if you were first, you got to start 30th. So they reversed the order. Uh, I, so everybody kind of cut speed. If they skied really well, they cut speed at the end to kind of boost their start number. Mm -hmm. Well, I, the final training run, Skied really well, cut speed, still was third on the on the run. I was like, whoa, whoa. it's on. <laughs> <laughs> and the downhill was February 12th, which is my birthday. And I was just like, stars are landing. Here this we is go. Like destiny. <laughs> 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 and I just thought about all the wrong things, like didn't stay 
focus on the task at hand. I just had my technician calls a brain cinema. I just had this thing going through my head of, of what would I do here? How would I deal with mm -hmm. this? Like what happens when I win? You know, it's not like, no, we need to like actually win before we think about these things. Mm -hmm. I, I thought about the total wrong things. I ended up messing up the, the race run. I forgot what I ended up place wise. So, but I got my, I got sung happy birthday in the finish area. So that's, <laughs> <special>. <laughs> that's so, so bad. And, and what yeah, about the, the rest crowd. of the scene? Like, like, like the village and the social part of it. Um, you know, Torino was the worst. Like, Torino, Torino was, was the worst. Torino. Oh, I think yeah. Italy would be no the best. village, no village. Uh, we didn't even stay in the village. We stayed in these, these houses outside and I think the village was like in Torino, like we were stuck up in Sestiere. So it was like Whoa. totally removed from the the energy and the scene, which is oh, too bad. Vancouver, very cool. Like oh, super, yeah. super cool. Yeah. Uh, we did stay off site. They typically do find housing off site for us because uh -huh. to get in and out of the village, it's a pain. You got to go through security. It basically uh, eats up an extra hour of your day. Oh, okay. So we were just offsite in a different zone, made our mm -hmm. own food, didn't have to deal with any of that stuff. Like the food in Torino was so bad. Oh, really? I, yeah, it was really Italy, bad. man. Like, you think it, it'd be the best? It, well, it was whoever like sponsored the Olympics <laughs> okay. was the food that you received. Yeah, McDonald's. It's, 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 yeah, it's like junk. <laughs> and so um, anyway, we controlled our environment better in, in Vancouver, okay, which was great, in, in Whistler. But just Whistler at night was so much fun. Oh like yeah, the, the concerts, the music that was there uh, must have been nuts. Gotta gotta stay for a couple of days and just kind of experience that. Sochi though, I really enjoyed it. My my mom came, a teammate's mom came, and we all stayed. Rented this place down on the Black Sea for Ooh. I think three or four days after the event. And we just went to all the events. We we roamed around, just took in the whole environment. And that was a ton of fun. That's uh, really cool. Got to go just ski and experience the area. Got to talk to locals. Everybody was so nice. What they built there in, in Sochi on the Black Sea, which is now like F1 races, the World Cup soccer, uh, the World Cup was there. Mm -hmm. uh they have these massive stadiums there's like four massive stadiums just built in that area and obviously they have the olympics wow it was just wild to see the magnitude of of what they created and this high-speed train that zipped up from there into the these is it the caucus mountains whatever the massive yeah, mountains yeah. that are there that's right like yeah you're you're just amazed that you're like what i was just in the ocean and now i'm just underneath these huge huge peaks sounds just super epic. special and 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 different and i actually went to korea even though i blew my knee actually got to experience it and i loved it the, the culture mm -hmm. there didn't know anything mm -hmm. about it and just wanted to embrace it during that training event where i was second or third there just took it all in and roamed mm -hmm. all around got to go into seoul and and the like how populous that area was it was just mind-blowing yes but then during the olympics i went there and, and reported for espn and oh. that was fun to do some reporting at night but then go to events during the day i actually had my new daughter at the time uh she was with us it was, it was like total chaos did some work for spider so wow. i was part of the olympics never got to compete but it was fun to be there and go to 
the Austrian house, like go to these houses, every mm-hmm. nation or, or brand creates these houses to as, as advertisements for people that are at the Olympics can go experience and they give you food and, and want you to go to their area, Austria. It's all about tourism. So yeah, they, yeah. They tourism built a Tyrolean lodge there Whoa. that you could just go in and they're just like shuttling you all this food. Same, same with Italy. It, Italy's home was just like the food was ah tutto bene <laughs> <laughs> and they just put you up and just and, and and love you so it's it's a lot of fun the olympics are special it brings a lot of people together uh unfortunately i never really performed that well there and just stepped in it, the line at the time but it was it's something that'll stay with me forever for sure Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, and I, I've been to Seoul as well. I, I I played basketball a bunch when I was in Seoul. I'm actually pretty good at basketball in Korea, which is red. Um, but in Korea, uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a big asterisk there. Um, it, so yeah, on that note, does does do the Olympics bring a pressure that you don't feel other places? Definitely, but that 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 can be totally self created, mm. and it was self created because I never. One, one, the first one I was young, the other two, I wasn't prepared well enough. I wasn't mm-hmm. in the right space to actually compete for the top. Mentally so, or both physically, mentally, physically, just all of it. equipment wise, the stuff wasn't aligned. And so, mm-hmm. and I didn't really have a great understanding of it. So you're, you're obviously shooting for the top and mm-hmm. you create that conviction and anything can happen those days. But if you're hoping on something can happen anything can happen you're not prepared you're not ready mm. like if you have that attitude that's like the worst you're like well we'll see what happens here it's like no right. when i'm when i'm winning i know what's going to happen i'm convinced of everything i know i'm capable i know what's required i know how to approach the day like that's that that's why i was bummed and that is my regret like i wish i could uh have another go at it when i was at, at that in that space but that's what makes it special and like stuff has to align at that time and you you have to have a good understanding of what you're trying to do and how do you get to that point so it took a long time to figure that out and once i figured that out i just ran into a string of injuries and it was a big bummer but yeah i don't think us as outside you know outside the world cup humans appreciate or understand how much has to come together to get on a world cup or Olympic podium. It's insane. And, and, and on that note, what, what do you, what, what would mean more to you an Olympic medal or, or a world cup podium? It depends on what world cup. <laughs> there you yeah, go. Like Kitzbühel's. which ones have the most value to you? World yeah. Cup. Kitzbühel. I'd love to win Kitzbühel. Yeah. Um, I think Kitzbühel or Vengen would take precedence over the, the Olympics. Where's Vengen? Um, Is that also Austria? Switzerland. Switzerland. And so it's Kitzbühel, under, under the Kitzbühel is kind of as, as a non you know ski racer person, Kitzbühel is the most famous one to me. And is, is Darren Rolves the only American to have won that? I think so. Still. I think that's yes. right. Yeah, I think that's right. Because yeah. he told us the story. That's how he got the Red Bull helmet, too. That yeah. He said he, they talked to Red Bull and said, hey, they said, well, we, we don't we're not going to have you as an athlete. But if you win Kitzbühel, you can have it, uh, which they just thought wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Okay. So Kit, Kitzbühel and Vengen are the, are the big ones for you. Yeah. Um, Which Darren has won both of. Um, I, I've never like on paper. I should have won Vengen. Mm-hmm. It's it's the longest. Uh, it's the the longest course on tour right now. Zermatt should 
if it happens, will be the longest. That's going to approach almost three minutes. Oh, that new one? That's two countries, right? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think Vangen and Kitzbühel, there's 50,000-plus people at those races. Ooh. Kitzbühel, you're basically skiing into this stadium, the sea of people. It's It's so cool. I've had the opportunity to run number one there and wow. was – one of the favorites so people were just fired up and it was just a, a scene crossing the finish line into that arena and just people going bananas insane man yeah and you know so i don't know if if you want to talk about this or not but you kind of got snubbed in a way for the 2022 olympics can you speak to that yeah it basically comes down to title nine and giving women more opportunity or the equal opportunity to men. Mm -hmm. The Olympics prior, when I injured myself, my spot, all prior Olympics, mm -hmm. the governing bodies are given allocated spots. So mm -hmm. say we had 22 spots for alpine skiing. Mm -hmm. It actually shifted to 11 spots for men and 11 spots for women instead mm -hmm. of this total grouping. And when I hurt myself in 2018, my spot actually went to Alice Merriweather, a woman. Okay. There are complaints that the spots always get shifted over to the men. Then we were taking away from the women and their opportunities. So the games in China, there were women that went to that games that had never scored a World Cup point that had uh. hardly even raced on the World Cup because we had so many extra spots mm. for women versus men and and we had plenty of men that had scored world cup points that could push for a decent position and and performance at those games and it wasn't just us it was all the nations suffered from it but mainly it was italy norway and uh italy norway and us and canada i think suffered because they took our spots away mm -hmm. um and i was the first alternate but never got to go my wife was chief of staff at the time with the US ski team. So she actually went and I feel like if I went, like it would have been really hard on our kids and I'd already been to the Olympics. Like it wasn't a big deal to me, but Matia Kase, who had several podiums the next season, he got snubbed and he was skiing oh. very, very well from Italy and he'd never been to the Olympics before either. So it's Whoa. unfortunate. And, and what if he gets hurt? What if he never goes to the games? Right. I, I mean, it's not, it shouldn't be a, pity story but basically there's that and then there are these races that occur or these people the 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 smaller nations that try and go to the olympics there is a group of nine people that on the last day scored at these races that basically allowed them to go to the games and a mm. lot of them were never even close to scoring and basically they're bunk races that are held that people ski slow at that have good rankings that allow them to be tight enough to give them good enough rankings to qualify for the games and uh, -huh. uh it was looking like i was going to go to the games as was matias and all these all the random people like we were told you're gonna go we just need to wait for this this block of people to clear and then mm -hmm. they'll allocate the spots to us. And this race occurred. And then we challenged it and tried to say that was get it thrown out so we could go and they didn't do that. And they didn't allocate more spots. And so 
It's fine. It's more but complicated it was, than I thought. Damn. Dude, it's 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 a total mess. But one of the people that actually uh took the spots, his name is Benji Alexander, and it was he was racing for Jamaica. And oh yeah. The funny thing is, is he was training out of Jackson with the Masters team there. Mm-hmm. And he asked me, uh, how do I how do I get to the olympics what's the best route and he's like i want to do it in super g and i'm like you're not going to make it in super g or slalom like you need to aim for gs that's the easiest Uh general turning event like your skills are definitely not up to par like i never thought he'd even make the olympics and he did and ended up knocking me out of the olympics basically oh no (laughs) shouldn't have given me advice oh it's so funny yeah. Wow. Wow. So, the world is like. And I actually that. thought that when I was telling him, I'm like, "What if this guy knocks me out of the Olympics?" That no way. Funny. Oh man. <laughs> and he ended up doing it. Wow. Impressive. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely curious. What's next? Um, what's What's next for you and your journey? What's fun this winter is I'm a lot of my partners still want to work with me. Right. Um, yeah. From Fisher to Sundance to Spider, I want to really show people the tangible side of skiing and mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be this watch this mm-hmm. type of attitude i'm i'm so radical look at this trick i did look at this line i skied it's just more the 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 normal things that occur mm-hmm. and it'll mostly be on social media but it's it's like how to how to get your kids on the slopes like little tricks to make them <laughs> not break down like uh i designed this i actually have never had like a signature piece and and i helped design this uh onesie for kids with spider oh cool a handle, a handle on the back and you can grab the handle to pick them up off the snow when they're kids just, like, need a handle morning, you know yeah yeah <laughs> and so it's an integrated handle it's called the stevie oh, um, i love it and so that comes out this year and just showcasing like real life skiing and mm-hmm. and hopefully that'll be attractive to people we, we're proposing kind of some some episodes and shows maybe like little five minute segments on youtube of uh what it's like to be a normal skier but it's i like that. Be comedic twist to it and and it should be a lot of fun so yeah well, well that's great man. i'll be looking forward to that as well I, I like that a lot i mean i think of that myself i feel like i'm uh I ski at a little bit more normal level. And I think people can relate to that and they like that, you know, instead of the mm-hmm. stuff that's, you know, so insane. It's, you know, it's not even, it's like a different sport. Yeah. Um, and and mine and part of it's going to be backcountry. I want to nice. hit certain peaks up and, and just show the ease of access to areas. It's not that hard, but it gets you away, gets you reconnected to the mountains away from the rat race and mm-hmm. uh, really, really help people kind of clean their plate and and reboot for the next uh session with the city yeah right yeah <laughs> that's, that's what you good. call it no i like that man inclusion in the mountains let's get more people up here doing this uh mm-hmm. steven that's all i got for you today man do you have any other thoughts you'd like to add here at the end of the show oh miles well let's ski this winter it'd be a lot <laughs> yeah. of fun when you're in utah or maybe we can rendezvous uh, I'm in Park City a bunch, and... man. So let's let's connect there and and, and do some skiing and, and definitely drag me over to Sundance. I would love that. I'd love that, and you yeah. can teach me the ways of the backcountry. Yeah, let's do it, man. We'll make a deal. All right. All right. Thanks, Miles. Hey, so so good to talk to you today. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great rest of your day, man. Yes, sir. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Snowbrains podcast. If you liked this podcast, please share with your friends and family and please subscribe. To find out more about Snowbrains, please visit us at snowbrains.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Snowbrains. This episode of the Snowbrains podcast was edited by Jared White and Ben Hout. Music by Chad Crouch. I'm your host, producer, and creator, Miles Clark.